self lingers in our lives sometimes. If you felt that, raise your hand. I felt it. I feel it every day almost. And, you know, I, I used to get discouraged, but I, I'm encouraged by this, that, that we can actually know what we're doing, that we can actually understand that, we're, that every day we get to make a choice to either plug in to ourself and actually multiple, throughout our day we get to choose if we're going to plug into ourself and, and really do what we want to do or if we're going to plug into life and have God lead us throughout our days and throughout our weeks and throughout our life. Let's choose to plug into life, guys. Because that's where our true life is. That's where we find out the reason and we find out our true destiny for our lives. It's in, it's in knowing Jesus Christ. It's in knowing God and, and living through the Holy Spirit. So we're going to continue to talk about that. Um, before I start, um, you guys ever seen these before? I'm not flicking you guys off. I'm holding it off. <laughs> so these are called, anyone? So they, they, call, they, they call them finger traps now. Just they don't, they don't do the Chinese finger traps anymore. I don't know if they're trying to be politically correct or not, but. Um, so I love these things. They're like so cool. You, you, you've seen these before? You stick your fingers in and then you, you can't pull them apart. The harder you try, the tighter it gets. The harder you try, the tighter it gets. The harder you try, the tighter it gets. The only way to really get released from the, from the powers that are in the Chinese finger traps is to relax, submit, and then you can become free. The harder you try, tighter it gets. The harder you try, the harder I try. We'll talk about it later. <laughs> so, I know we've, uh, some of us might have heard this before, but we really deserve nothing in life. As human beings, as, <laughs> as, as, as people who are so selfish from the time that we are two years old, what's the easiest thing for a two-year-old to say? Mine. Mine. You take someone from, mine. And we think it's cute when they're two, but <laughs> not when you're a parent, but when you're like an uncle, it's cute. No. <laughs> Sherry's like, yeah, not so cute. Bobby's like, it's still cute. <laughs> Bobby's perfect. False. But, um... We really deserve nothing. Actually, the only thing we really deserve is, is death. If we really think about it, why would we deserve anything else? And it's hard, it's hard for us to swallow that as, as what is the world has, has proclaimed us to be the most entitled generation in all the history of the earth. We think because we breathe, we deserve an iPhone or something. Um, but because of our, our nature, our sin nature, we deserve nothing. And everything that, we, everything that we have, everything that we live and, and enjoy is because of the grace of God. Even if we're not living for God, everything that we enjoy is due to the grace of God. 
his, his, his ability to bless us, his ability to reach down and show us favor, his ability to, to show kindness to us when we don't deserve it. When we actually, we deserve the opposite. When actually we deserve curses, he still blesses us. Have you ever noticed that it's really hard to define, like, really like put your finger on what grace is? Like what is, can someone tell me what is grace? What is grace? Think about it. If I were to ask you what is grace, what would you say? The answer that you might have gotten if you went to a Christian school or you grew up in a, in a church that taught about grace or you went to a Bible college or you just have read the Bible and you've done some research, read some books, listened to YouTube videos because information is endless nowadays. You can listen to anything. You might have heard this, this, this term, unmerited favor. So I ask you, what is grace? You might have said unmerited favor. I have another question. What is unmerited favor? <laughs> it's like we answer what is grace with an answer that we don't even fully understand. At least I don't. I, some people call it undeserved favor, undeserved um, blessings that we enjoy. But what, but what, how do, what does that look like in our lives? What does that look like when a, on the everyday? What does it look like tonight when I go home, when I'm sitting on my bed? What does grace look like? What is it, what is it practically? What is it where I can understand? What is grace? And what we find out is that people don't, we don't understand, and it's, so, and it's okay that we don't understand it because it's not actually supposed to be understood, it's supposed to be experienced. But, and it's actually only, only in our experiences, Nick and I were talking about this, it's only in our experience with grace that we can actually explain it. And I... Um, I have a different explanation, and we're going to go through a journey of, of different types of grace that we might have experienced in our lifetime, um, some, some, some true ones and some counterfeit ones. But I want to give you my, this is, this is my definition of grace. This is just mine that I use, that I like to think of when, I, when I'm sitting and, and, I'm, and I'm meditating and praying about grace. This is the definition I like to use in my head, and it's, I didn't come up with it. I kind of have heard some different um, people that I listen to in my life and I've been able to take some bits and pieces. So this is the definition that I've given. It's God's power. Say God's power. Say God's power. Say God's power. To transform us into the image of Christ. God's power to transform us into the image of of Christ, meaning to transform us into what Jesus looked like, acted like, thought like, to transform us into that person. And it's his power that works in us and through us to present us to the world as people who look like Jesus Christ. Grace. It's God's power. How many of us need more of God's power in our lives? I do. If you're not raising your hand, raise your hand now because you definitely, I'm just, I'm just kidding. You need it. You need it. I'm not, I'm not looking at anyone, but you know who you are. 
It's God's power to transform us into the image of Christ. So I, I, I talked about, remember yes, last week, self. We like to plug into self when we're supposed to plug into life. I, and I don't think we've gotten over this. I don't think, I think this is something that is a lifelong journey for us to submit daily and sometimes hourly and sometimes minutely, if that's a word, to submit to Christ, submit to life and not unto ourselves. But it's just in our nature to want to, it seems like it's so natural for us to want to just do something about it. It's so natural for us to, to just want to work and just want to do it ourselves and just will and just power through it and just work through it. And we got a problem, we just, we just push through it. It's so like us human beings, men and women alike, to, to just go through our days motivated by ourselves and by coffee. <laughs> Seriously, does anyone else not like coffee here? I can't go a morning without coffee. I get, I don't get headaches, but I do drink coffee every day. Anyone else? No? Coffee drinkers? There's a lot. Who drinks tea? I'm judging. It's not better for you, it's a lie. Well, maybe is the truth. <laughs> I'm totally lost right now. So it's just like ourselves to depend on ourselves or coffee or tea to get us through the day. And we, we, I, can, I can point out all throughout Scripture, all throughout the Bible, all throughout your life, my life, and everyone else's lives of examples of where we just, we do it on our own and we don't, we don't really think or, or, put, or take into consideration the fact that God wants to work through us in a situation. We just take it upon ourselves. And so I have, you know, different situations in the Bible, and it dates back all the way to Adam. The first problem that we ever had was plugging into himself, was, was thinking that he, he himself could do it, that he himself could know the difference between good and evil, and he could be the judge. He plugged into himself. And then you have the Israelite people in Exodus with Moses. In Exodus 17, this is, this is so funny. People never change. The peop, we never change, guys, ever. So God, God tells Moses to tell the people of Israel, so there's, they're, they're, in, they're out of Egypt, right? They went through the Red Sea. They saw God part the Red Sea. Some of us are waiting for a sign. Whew, can you imagine seeing that? You're like walking, you see this big sea, it's just like, you walk through, and then you walk through and you're in the wilderness. You're like, man, I'm really hungry. You start complaining. And then God says, here's some bread. I'm going to have it fall from heaven. So bread literally falls from heaven. And they say, we're thirsty. So Moses strikes a rock. Water comes out. I mean, they're seeing some crazy stuff. God's, God's literally pouring out grace upon them. Undeserved favor. He's giving them things that they do not deserve. And then God tells Moses to tell the people. Tell them to remember the covenant. Tell them to remember the covenant and obey what I have said. Basically be led by me. Remember that I am the one true God and that you are my people. Remember those things. And this is what the people said. 
The people said, Moses, we can do anything. We will do anything the Lord says. And, and, and a lot of times I've taken that verse to mean, and that, wow, these guys, are really, these guys are really zealous. They're really pressing into what God wants. We will do anything the Lord says. And then I, then I started to think and I started to wonder, what if, what if that wasn't out of love for God? What if that was out of pride for themselves? What if them saying we can do anything for God meant I have the ability to make decisions every day in order to follow God every day. I can do it. I can do it. I can follow God. I can follow God. I can follow God. I can follow God. So God says, you can follow whatever I say. Alrighty then. He talks to Moses. He says, I'll give you some commandments. How many commandments are there? There are 10, that's, the, that's like the top 10 is top 10, but there's actually like 312 commandments. And that might even be the wrong number. I'm not like a Bible scholar, I'm just a normal person. Somebody fact check me right, right there quick. Let me know if I'm right. So he gives them a 312 commandments. He says, okay, you think you can follow all the commandments? Here you go. Here's 312 commandments. So Moses comes down from the mountain. He goes to the Israelite people and he lists off all the commandments to them, all of them. And then these people, you know what they say? They say, we can do all those things. We will obey everything that God has commanded. Wow, these guys are really zealous. Wow, they really love God. They really say, I'm gonna do everything that God says. I'm gonna do everything that God says. I'm gonna do everything God says. You guys know the story. It didn't turn out well for them. <laughs> Actually, what happened 40 days later, Moses was on the, on the mountain, gone for 40 days. Moses comes back and they're worshiping a golden cow. <laughs> but they'll do everything that God commands them because they can do it, right? Because they can do it. Because they can do it. Because they can do it. So we have this pattern of people thinking that they can do it on their own, that they can plug into themselves, wake up every morning, make a decision and go and do life and follow Jesus on their own because yeah, I can do it. Yeah, I love God. I love God. I love God. I can do it. I can follow all the commands. I can do that. I can, I can say no to that. I can say no. I can go into that place and say no to everything. I can, I can avoid all temptation. I can do that. I'm strong. You have the Pharisees who thought that by following the rules, they could become righteous and they could gain favor with God. They thought, if I just do all these right things and I follow the traditions and the customs and all the rules, and as long as I look good on the outside, as long as I dress up nice, as long as I look good, as long as I say the right thing, then God will let, and then I'll have favor with God. Then you, then, then you have Peter. <gasps> Peter, we love Peter, don't we? We love Peter. He goes to, so Jesus is at, they're at the Last Supper, right? They're at the Last Supper. Jesus is talking to him and he goes, he goes, hey guys, hey guys, hey guys. You're all gonna deny and run away from me. All of you. <laughs> I'm like, Jesus, come on, man. Peter goes, come on. Not me. I don't know, you know, Peter didn't really like John. You guys know that? So Peter and John were not like, they were jealous of each other because John was, I find this interesting. If you read the book of John, there, they talks about the disciple whom Jesus loved. So there's a, there's a person in, in John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. 
if you, and then I didn't realize that that's actually John. So John was referring to himself in the third person in the whole book of John, claiming himself to be the disciple whom Jesus loved. Huh, interesting, John. Side note, sorry. So Peter, he goes, so Jesus says, all of you are going to run away. When the persecution comes, when the hard times come, you're all going to run away like little girls. And and Peter says, he goes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, not me. I love you, Jesus. You think I'm going to run away? Even though all those 11 guys, and especially John, they might run away. But me, Jesus, I'll follow you to the death. I will follow you, Jesus, to the death. I will follow you, Jesus, no matter where you go. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid to die, Jesus. I am not afraid to die. Hmm, A couple hours later, (laughs) Peter denies Jesus three times. When the rubber hit the road, when the hard times came, when the test came, Peter did not have the strength in his own ability, he did not have the inner strength to persevere. So it continues the pattern of people thinking that they can willfully, that we can willfully follow God on our own strength. On our own strength. How silly, how foolish are we? And then it continues even on. In the Galatians, the whole book of Galatians is written to a church who there was a false teacher who was preaching that people had to do things in order to receive salvation. And that in order to be saved, in order to follow Jesus, you had to be circumcised. Mm-mm. I ain't fu- Guys, this is what it said. The people in Galatians, they said, if you want to be saved, you have to be circumcised. And Paul was saying, that's not true, man. And all the guys in Galatia were like, Amen. Ain't no way I'm getting circumcised if I don't have to. I gotta check my heart. I'm just kidding. He circumcised that too. He circumcised, it's a verse, sorry, if you didn't understand that. So this whole, the whole Bible, all of human nature, it's consistent that men, women, try to work their way into earning God's favor. We just love doing things. We love checklists. We love, we love creating to-do lists and then crossing them off. It's actually scientifically proven that when you, when you mark one of those, cross that thing off on your to-do list, it releases endorphins in your body and actually gives you a small high. We're, we're wired. We're wired to do things and to complete things and do and do and do and do and do and do and do. But how do you mean... Any of y'all made a New Year's resolution? Did any of y'all make some in January? I can almost guarantee you're not following through with it right now. We say, yes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work out five times a week. I'm going to eat, I'm not going to eat ice cream the whole year. Good luck. You say, no, I'm not going to do any of that. The thing is, even when it comes to physical things, we can't even follow through on most of our, most, most of our promises anyways. 
We can't even keep a New Year's resolution. <laughs> and then we say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work on treating my mom nice, my parents more respectfully. Guess what happens? They do something that really triggers you, and you're just like, fuck. Mom and dad, what the? Or your brother, sister? Yes. Do something, your family? And you're like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to treat them better. I'm going to do that. I'm going to treat them better. You can't, we can't even do that. Because when the rubber hits the road, they're going to touch a button that's inside of us and it's going to make us react. Man, we just love, love, love to do. We love, love, love to do. We love, love, love to try really hard to earn God's favor. We try really hard to do all these things to earn God's favor, to make him happy with us and our own strengths that we're pulling as hard as we can to try to release and be free. But the more that we pull, the more the pressure, the pressure that it just pushes down on us and we get discouraged. Why do we always want to do It's a thing that I like to call performance Christianity. It's the thing that says you have to do in order for God to like you. You have to do in order for God to accept you. You have to obey in order for God to bless you. you and I'm not saying that there's no action that's involved with our faith, but I'm saying is it's not anything that we do. So there's that, there's that side of grace that says that I have to earn that I have to earn grace. It's like this list. It's like, okay, here's righteousness up here, right? Here's right standing with God. It says, you have to do all these things in order to meet the standard that God has set. You have to do all these things in order to be right with God. False. It's a lie. It's a lie. Then there's another, there's another way of grace. This way of grace is a little bit, it's actually becoming somewhat popular in America today. It's this grace that says, God's grace is enough. There's nothing else. God's grace is reached out to all people. There's no hell, God loves all people. There's no hell, there's no, God loves all people. All people will come into heaven because of God's grace and his love. <laughs> Jesus has something to say about that. He does. It's this grace that says, he's forgiven me so that I can keep on sinning because he's forgiven me, so I'll keep on sinning because I can just wake up the next morning and ask for forgiveness. It's this grace that says, it doesn't matter what I do because he's already forgiven me. So I'm gonna keep doing what I'm doing so that I can keep being forgiven. Jude 1.4. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed. This is talking about a church. Those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turned the grace of our God, who turned, and this word turned does not mean that it morphs into one thing into another. It means it's replaced. So this is not any form of the, great, the true grace of God. This is a replica. This is a counterfeit 
God, grace, who have counterfeited the grace of God into lic- licentiousness, I've never said that word before, and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. That licentiousness means a license. They have turned or they have counterfeited the grace of God to mean that it's a license to sin. Counterfeit grace. Like I said, Jesus has something to say about this. Matthew 5, 21. It doesn't, uh, there, I'll go through it. Here we go. Five, Matthew 5, 21 through 23. You have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing shall be guilty. I always thought it was interesting. It left like, you good for nothing. Like I feel like Jesus might have left out a curse word in there or something like that. Shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Okay. So Jesus, who in John 1 14 says is full of grace and truth. So Jesus is full of grace and truth. This is what he says. He says it used to be that you cannot murder. But I say you shall not call your brother a fool. So there's a so people who say, good thing I'm under grace. Be careful what you say. Jesus, the law said, do not murder. Jesus says, do not call someone a fool. Woo! In our minds, I think we've come to believe that Jesus lowered the bar when grace came. Jesus raised the bar. When grace came, the bar was raised. But there's good news. In the past, we had to be plugged into ourselves. In order to actually do the right things, we had to be able to have discipline and, do the right, and be able to willfully accomplish and obey. But Jesus said this. He says, listen, I'm coming and I'm sending a helper to you. He says, don't worry. I'm sending a helper who's going to lead you into all truth. I'm going to send you somebody who's going to empower you. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit who's going to live inside of you so that this new this new level that I've called you to, he's actually going to become, he's going to come underneath you. He's going to come underneath me. And he's going to empower you. Meaning that he's going to come and push you up and he's going to show you who you are. Because grace has, this is what grace has said. Grace has said you are righteous. Grace has said you are clean. Grace has said I forget all of your sins, past, present, and future. Grace has said you are holy. Grace has said you can have confidence before God when you approach him. Grace has said all these things, but the problem is we don't, we, we, we don't feel that. I don't feel that. This morning when I I just didn't feel that. But that's what grace is for. See, he raised the bar, but he also sent us someone, Holy Spirit, who comes underneath us and empowers us to reach. And he empowers us and he gives us grace and he gives us the power and ability to reach the standard that he set, which was Jesus. So we no longer are plugging in to ourselves. We're plugging in back into the tree of life. And he's the one who's strengthening us. He's the one who's leading us. 
He's the one who's empowering us to reach that new level, to say no to ungodliness. There's a, there's a verse in, in uh, Titus 2, Titus 2.11. Do you guys have that or no? It says, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to the ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. It says the grace of God is purposed to lead us to say no to ungodliness and to lead us to live a life that represents Jesus. It's the grace of God that leads us. It's not ourselves. It's not on our own willful ability to push through. It's not our own ability to say, yeah, I'm going to live for God every day. I'm going to live for God every day. No, it's in that moment. It's in that moment because even sometimes we have the right motives that we say, yeah, I'm going to live for God. Yeah, I'm going to do all these right things. I'm going to read my Bible every day. I'm going to pray every day. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to do all these things for God. I'm going to do all these right things, these Christian things, these good things to do. All the while, God's saying, I don't want you just to do all those things to try to earn anything. I want you to submit. And I want you to rest in the grace that I've already given you. And the grace that I've given you is going to become in you the ability to say no to ungodliness, the ability. And it's going to become in you the person of Jesus Christ that you were designed to live like. So the pressure's really off us to perform. Right. Now there is, there is, and next week I'm going to be talking about that. I'm going to be going through Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, which says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no man should boast, but you are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. You see, what happens is, is when we receive this grace, when we understand that we deserve death, but God saw something better in us and we start to focus on the fact that he loves us, he sees us righteous, he sees us who we are and he's forgiven us and he's seen so many good things in us and he, want, and he loves us. And we start to focus our attention on that and we start to focus on truth rather than focusing on our emotions, we actually start to come into alignment with what the word of God says and obeying isn't a duty. Obeying is a reaction to what the grace of God is doing in our lives. Does that make sense? So it's less about striving and working and doing and making sure we do all the Christian things. It's more about just resting in God. It's more about just resting in, 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 in reading the Bible and asking Holy Spirit to teach you who you are, who he sees you to be reading the Bible and, and sticking on like three verses and saying, God, what does this mean? What does this mean about who I am? And allow him just to teach you who you are. And that grace that's so available, that amazing grace will start to empower us and will teach us, it says, to say no to ungodliness and to live upright lives in this present age so the world will see. So the world will see us, ambassadors of Christ, will see us. God's grace was God's grace was always meant to transform us. It was never meant to enable us to keep sinning. True grace, the true grace that God is leads us into becoming like him. True grace <laughs> 
true grace that says you were dead and I still loved you. That says while you were still a sinner, while you were still nasty, while you were still so perverted and rebellious, while you were still that, I still loved you and set my son for you so that you might become the righteousness of God. While we were still that, he gave us something. He made us become something. And I wanted to share this one last thing before before I end. A lot of times we can, we can confuse two words, which are grace and mercy. Has anyone been confused with those two words before? I know I have. Grace and mercy, are they synonymous? Are they different? Are they, what's going on with those two words? Because I hear them used in the same sentences and in the same way a lot, in the same context. This is how I would explain it for us. So imagine you're going 90 and a 45, driving. I know some of you do that. Nick, where are you? Yeah, he does that. Austin. <laughs> so imagine this. Mercy is this. Mercy is when you get pulled over going 90 and 45. The cop comes up to your window. He says, roll down the window, license, registration. He looks at it and he says, hey, next time, slow down. It's mercy. Grace is this. You're going 90 and a 45. The cop pulls up. He puts it on the window he says, license registration, he gives it back to you with $1,000. And he says, have a good day, man. And you're like, what? What? I didn't deserve this. I deserved a ticket. I deserved points on my license. I, I, I deserved increased insurance. <laughs> but instead, he says, here's $1,000. And that's the same way that, that Christ's grace is for us. God's grace is for us. While we were still sinners, it says, he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. We deserve death. We deserved hell. But he didn't only just give us heaven. He gave us Christ's image while we were on earth. He gave us that, that while we're on earth, we have the ability to, to stand before God and see ourselves just as God sees Jesus Christ. He's not mad at us. He's not upset with us. He's not frustrated with us. He's pretty secure with himself. <laughs> like he's, he's pretty happy he's not mad at us you might, we might have messed up I, I, I did some I, I, I might have messed up this morning and he's like Jacob I'm just happy with you and that's the grace that leads us away from the things that we are doing and it leads us into just more of righteousness it's not beating ourselves up in condemnation, saying, I wish I would have done that. I wish I wouldn't have done that. Oh, I, oh, I feel so bad. I feel so bad. That just leads us into more of that. God's grace leads us into empower. It empowers us to live like Jesus. It, it motivates us to be men and women of God. And then guess what? Once we start tapping into that rest, once we stop trying so much, once we stop just working so hard and it actually becomes easier. It actually frees us so our hands are open so that we can start doing the work that God has called us to do. Why don't you pray with me? God, I thank you for today. I thank you for your grace, God. I thank you for the grace that empowers us to be the people who God has called us to be. Help us to rest in your grace. God, I challenge us all tonight before we go to bed just to, just to ask you, what is grace and what does it look like for me? What is grace, God? And what does that look like for me, God? Show me what your grace is.
Thank you that your grace, God, is so powerful. It's the most immovable force in all the earth is your love and your grace. So I pray that it penetrates our hearts and it shows us who we are so that we can be representatives of Jesus Christ wherever we go. God, we repent of any old ways of thinking about grace. We turn away from those that performance Christianity and that license to sin, God. We turn away from those and we turn to the true grace today. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.